Well, welcome to The Exchange Online. Yes, we are still online and we are still apparently in phase one, uh, except now it's real phase one. Apparently we were just texting phase one before, but now it's realized we're in a relationship. Not really sure what's going on, but I do know this, our daycare is open, which uh, for you guys, that means probably nothing. For us, it means sanity. But, but I will say this, in this time of this pandemic, of everything that's going on, uh, everyone's got an opinion, right? We all have an opinion on what should have been done. We all have an opinion on what we should be doing right now. And we all have an opinion on what we should do in the future. And in today's culture, in today's rhetoric, it's a lot of mudslinging. It's a lot of name-calling. Uh, a lot of people aren't happy with anything anybody is saying. There's a bunch of conspiracies going around. There's tons going on. And the question becomes this. As Christians, who should we listen to? As Christians, who's in charge in all of this? And today we're going to be looking at Acts 5. We're going to be looking at a passage with the apostles and really where they answer the question, who's in charge? Now let me catch you guys up. In chapter 4, we saw that Peter and John healed a man that uh, was lame from birth. Because of that healing, because they did it in the name of Jesus, they were thrown in jail. They were released from jail. What do they do? They go right back to preaching and teaching at the temple, which is the place where you get in trouble. So they start preaching. They start teaching. The religious leaders get mad again. They throw them in jail again. Now here's what's crazy. That night, an angel shows up. Angel shows up and releases them from jail. So Peter and John are like, what should we do? The angel says, uh, you should go back and preach in the temple again. They're like, but we just did that. Like, yep, you get to do it again. So they leave. The next morning, what do they do? They do exactly what the angel said. They show up at the temple. They start preaching and teaching. Well, the religious leaders are having a court. They're having a trial. They're like, hey, go get Peter and John. Bring them before us. The guy goes to the jail, realizes they're not back. He comes back. He goes, hey, guess what, guys? I got good news, bad news. Like, good news, bad news. He goes, well, the jail cells are still working. Okay, that's good. Uh, the guards are still in place. Well, that's great. But Peter and John are not there. Like, come on, man, you had one job. Make sure they're there. So they figure at this point they're long gone, right? Because when you escape from jail, you don't stay in that city. But what happens? Somebody shows up. They say, hey, uh, Peter and John are actually at the temple steps. They are preaching again. And so what we see in this verse, these set of verses in this chapter, is we see the disciples' response to authority in their life. So let's look at Acts 5, verses 26 to 32. It says this, the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. They were afraid because the message of Jesus loves them and you killed Jesus was apparently so popular that they would be stoned if they tried to take them away. It says, then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. They can't even say the name of Jesus. If you wonder if there's power there, they won't even say it. It says, instead you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. Once again, won't say his name. And you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. That's what we're going to look at. It says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. 
We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. This is incredible. One, they just keep saying his name. They won't even say his name. They go, you can't preach in his name. Peter goes, well, I got a captive audience. What does he start doing? He literally starts preaching to the Sanhedrin. He starts teaching to the Sadducees, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. He, they say, you can't teach in his name. He literally starts a sermon on that point. But the point that we're going to look at and what we're going to look closely at is what he says. He goes, we serve God. We obey God rather than any human authority. What does that mean? What does that look like? Does that mean we just give up on all human authority? Or what does that look like when we're serving God in order to do what God wants us to do? And let me just say this. There's a little bit of a danger in this. And I've seen people say that where they pull out the God card. Where they say things like, well, God told me to, or God said this was real. I've had girls who have had guys come up to them and say, um, well, God told me we were going to get married. She's like, I don't even know your name. Do you have a job? Right? It, it, so here's the deal. It's like God told you that, but God didn't tell me that. So we've got to be careful with that. But even looking at what God says for us to do, just because God is an authority, that doesn't mean we just push all other authority aside. You see, how do we treat the government leaders that are ahead of us? How do we treat those in business that are ahead of us, those in school that are ahead of us? When do we decide to obey God? When do we decide to obey man? And the question is, who should we listen to and why? And here's what we've got to solve first off, is we must start with an understanding of who is in control, who we are, and what our purpose is. Who's in control, who we are, and what our purpose is. Because if I understand who's in control, if I understand who is in charge, my response changes. So here's who's in control. Well, here's the idea. God is in control of who is in control. Okay? God is in control of who is in control. That doesn't mean everything is good. It doesn't mean that who is in control is doing what God has called them to do. No, we still have sin. And because of sin, we have consequences and we have pain in this world. But ultimately, ultimately, God's plan is going to get done. That doesn't mean there's not going to be pain. doesn't mean there's not going to be problems. doesn't mean there's not going to be sinful leaders. But ultimately, God's plan is going to be done. One of the ways we can look at that is, if you guys remember the series before this, we talked about Daniel. Daniel was a man whose country was defeated by the Babylonians. They came in, they kidnapped him. They took all of the treasure. They took all of God's people. And in Daniel 1, 1 to 2, Daniel says it in a way that we should pay attention to. He says this, he says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Judah and besieged it. Hear this, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Who let them? God did. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in a treasure house of his God. What happened? War, awful thing. Slavery, awful, awful thing. God allowed it. How did Daniel know that God allowed it? Because God used Daniel to bring revival to a country that didn't believe in God. People got to know God because something bad happened. Now, here's the idea. Does God want bad things to happen? No, but he will take even the worst 
things to cause something incredible. He took something awful as Daniel being brought into a, as a slave, being forced to serve in the king's house. It even shows that he was castrated, but God still used Daniel to bring thousands upon thousands of people to God. Look, God is in control of who is in control. That doesn't mean they're doing what God wants them to do. But no matter who is in control, God's plan is going to happen. So we understand who's in control, but who are we? Who are we? The Bible says it this way. It says, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. In Philippians 3.20, it says this. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. What does that mean? That means this, this isn't the end game. This isn't our home, okay? This isn't our home. And so when things are out of control here, we don't need to lose control because we know this isn't our home. Heaven is. While things may be out of control on this earth, we know God is in control at home. It changes our perspective on this. And then why we are here, what is our purpose? We are, the way the Bible says it, we are ambassadors for Jesus. Now, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone that goes to a country, lives in a country, adopts that country's culture, understands that country, loves that country. But ultimately, who is the ambassador serving? His home country, his home leader. You see, our job, while we are ambassadors for Jesus, means, yes, we live in the United States. We love the United States. We adopt the culture of the United States. But the person that we ultimately serve, the person who we want to win is Jesus. And our job is to always represent our leader. It's the idea of what would Jesus do? It truly is. It's every day going throughout our lives going, what would Jesus do? Why? Because we know this. We are ambassadors for Jesus. The question is, what would Jesus look like in today's culture? And what does that mean we should do? And here's what I need us to understand. Because many times what we do is we go, all right, this is what Jesus would look like. And we put all these rules and restrictions and we tell people this is what they ought to be. Remember this, remember this. And you've heard me say this before. There's a big difference between what God forbids and what we don't like. There's a big difference between what is sin and what is preference. Actually, let me just say this way. There's a big difference between what is sin and what is tradition. Many times we confuse our tradition and our preferences with what sin is. I mean, the church that I grew up in would consider it a sin if you didn't come to church in a three-piece suit. Yet I go on mission trips and people show up to church without shoes on. See, that's a tradition. That's a preference. There's a tradition in the Catholic church of going to a priest and confessing your sins. Is that what you have to do? No. Is that what the Bible says you have to do? No. Is it an okay thing? Yes, it's good to confess your sins. But do you have to do it? No, you don't. See, it's a tradition, not a preference. Our music that we listen to changes constantly. There are people that will fight for hymns. The problem is hymns, they're a tradition. They're a preference. But they're doing a different type of song is not a sin. See, I see this happen in, in Tampa. We are known for this right now because a pastor here became the biggest deal. There's a guy that basically when the pandemic hit said, you're not going to keep us from church. We're still going to meet. God wants us to meet. It is sinful for us not to meet in church. They told us we can't proclaim the gospel. Here's the truth. They didn't say that. They didn't say we couldn't proclaim the gospel. They said we couldn't call our friends and tell them about Jesus. They didn't say we couldn't meet online or meet one-on-one. -on -one. They didn't say any of those things. What they'd say, hey, 
there's a pandemic going on. So for right now, let's not meet. Right? There's a big difference between saying we lost the ability to proclaim the gospel and saying we can't meet for some weeks because we don't want to spread a deadly virus. There's some difference going on there. See, Jesus, here's what's crazy. Jesus didn't break any of the 613, yes, 613 laws the Jewish people had. He didn't break any of them. Here's what he did. He broke their traditions. He broke the laws that they added to the laws. And the Jewish people were very good at this. They had 613 laws, which you figure would be enough, but they added laws on top of laws. And let me just say this. We still do this. That's exactly what religion does. Religion takes what God says and adds laws and adds preferences and adds all these things to the point where we just sit in a place where we are no longer happy following God. In fact, we're in a place of guilt. That's the only reason we go forward. And there's no joy in it. And we see people with joy and we're mad that they have joy and we don't. It's almost like we had this religious baggage on top of us. Let me just say this. In two weeks, we're going to start a new series. And that's exactly what I want to talk about. I want to strip away the baggage and look what it really looks like to follow after Christ. Because I think the reason is many of you that are losing your joy in following Christ, many of you, the reason that you've lost that passion is because you've got religious baggage strapped to your back. And all Jesus wanted to do was remove the baggage and reveal the relationship. See, we've got to understand that there's a difference between what is sin and what we just don't like. And let me just say this too, and some of you are going to take this the wrong way right away, and just listen to me on this. Don't confuse the Bible with the Constitution. I love the Constitution. The Constitution is great. It's an incredible Constitution. It gives us so many freedoms. Here's the problem. I see many Christians out there defending the Constitution with greater vigor than they defend their own faith. They're defending their freedoms with greater vigor than they defend their own faith. And here's what we do. Many times we take things in the Constitution and we assume they're in the Bible. We take things that are in the Bible and we assume they're in the Constitution. God said we have to have freedom of speech. Really? What happened to Jesus? I'm not saying we shouldn't have those things. But here's my thing. If you defend the Constitution more than you defend your faith, or you stand up for the Constitution more than you stand up for your faith, your allegiances are wrong. Not that we shouldn't care about those things, but God should come first in that. So what should we do? And here's the first thing, and here's something you've heard before, but it's something we actually ought to do. We need to pray for those that are in authority. We need to pray for those in authority. In a time where anytime someone disagrees with you, they're stupid and ignorant. Christians need to rise above that and be something different. Pastor said this the other week, and I thought this was incredible. For every time you post, you should pray twice. If you're going to post something about someone, pray for them twice before you do it. No matter who they are, just anyone in authority. Before you decide to say anything directly about someone on social media, pray for them twice and see how it changes your heart. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, it says this, says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for all of them. It says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can have peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Here's the truth. What is our ultimate goal as Christians? To get someone elected, to get our way, or to lead people to Jesus? 
What's our ultimate goal? To be heard or to lead people to Jesus. If we choose to dialogue in a way that calls people stupid and ignorant, we choose to dialogue in a way that turns people off from God's message. Our goal is not to win a fight. Our goal is to win them to Christ. There is a big difference. And when we pray, it may not change. Here's what, when we pray, it's not like it's going to change whether or not we disagree with them. It's going to change the way we disagree with them. It's going to change the way we disagree with them into a way that is respectful. Why? So that they will listen to what we have to say later. Here's the question. Have you ever been influenced by someone you know looks down on you? Have you ever been influenced by someone that despises you? No. So if a group of people think Christians despise them, why will they ever listen to the message that they have about God? So we need to pray for them. Here's the second thing we do. We obey those in authority unless it goes against the Bible. Now, let me just say this. Most of the time, the reason we don't want to obey people's authority is not because it goes against the Bible. It's because we don't like it. It's because it annoys us. It's because it irritates us, not because it goes directly against what God has said. There are things that we should stand against and there are things that we should obey. There are things that the government could do. I mean, you have instances of Hitler and all these things. Of course, you should stand against those things. When the Israelites were in Egypt, the Pharaoh told the Hebrew midwives, he said, hey, I'm afraid of all these men coming up. As soon as a boy is given birth to, throw them in the Nile River. What did the midwives do? Did they do that? No. In fact, the Pharaoh's like, why are so many boys being born? And they're going, well, here's the deal. They're so stinking fertile. (laughs) They're popping out babies left and right. We can't keep up with it. Now, was that truth? No, that was an absolute lie. They told a lie to someone in authority. But... It was for something that was right. And it says in the Bible, God blessed them. God blessed them. Because the government was doing something sinful. See, if it's stupid, if it's unfair, if it's inconvenient, we should still obey. If it's sinful, we should disobey and accept the consequences. Okay? Last point. Always treat others with respect. Always treat others with respect. If we don't do this, our message will never be heard. Daniel, once again, gets taken into the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. All of these awful things happen to Daniel, happen to his people. Yet you see Daniel treat him with respect. When he finds out King Nebuchadnezzar is going to die, he says, O king, if it was anyone but you, why did he show King Nebuchadnezzar respect? Because in the moment, in a moment, he got a platform to share about his God. Because he showed respect, Nebuchadnezzar gave him a platform and he had the ability to lead a revival in his nation. If we choose not to show respect, we will never be given a platform to talk about what we believe. We must always show respect in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. If you ever want an opportunity to share with others your faith, we must respect them. And let me just say this. This country is going to put us in situations where that's hard to do. This country is going to put us in situations where we are unhappy with what the authority is ahead of us. Let me just say this. If you're unhappy with the authority now, you'll be happy later and then you'll be unhappy again. 
If you're happy with the authority now, sooner or later you're going to be unhappy. It keeps going back and forth. Parties change. Stuff happens. It doesn't matter who's in authority. Sooner or later, we're not going to get our way. And because of that, we've got to learn to respect those that are in authority. It doesn't give us freedom to say whatever we want. It does allow us to speak our mind, but in a way that's respectful. 2 Timothy 2.24 just kind of sums up. It says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants wants. Our enemy is the devil, not the people we disagree with. Our enemy is the devil, not the people we disagree with. See, what the devil wants to do is he wants to take sons and daughters of Christ and make them believe they're each other's enemies. What God wants to do is he wants to take enemies and help them realize they're sons and daughters of Christ. How does that happen? It it happens by the way we treat others. When we show respect, when we allow and show respect for those in authority, when we pray for those who are ahead of us, it gives us a platform, it gives us an opportunity to share about a God that loves us so much. See, we choose our side daily. We choose our side daily. Whose side are you choosing today? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a God that's in control. I pray right now as things are just seem out of control, uh, as things just don't seem right. And I know each of us has an idea of the way this should happen. Uh, We have all different people that we're listening to. God, I pray that you would bring us peace and understanding. God, I pray that you give us a clear path back to meeting so that we can be together once again. God, I'm so thankful that you love us so much that you give us an opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. God, I pray that we would remember that in our daily lives as we respect and pray for others so that we may have the opportunity to share with them about the God that we love. God, we thank you for all this. And in Jesus' name, I pray, amen.